So start with a simple quote from uh, Lao Tzu. Lao Tzu is a, a great Chinese sage of old. And he says, when I let go of what I am, I become what I might be. When I let go of what I am, I become what I might be. Yeah. And so in this exploration of the five aggregates, of the three characteristics, of how we create and nurture and support our sense of self in healthy ways, which is really important, and then expand wider than the habitual, contracted, sometimes painful sense of self. You know? So this is an expansion and a contraction, this selfing that we're involved in being human beings living a life. Uh, I like to imagine back in time, back in time, actually 2,555 uh, 2, years to the time of the Buddha. And when I imagine back in time to the time of the Buddha, uh, the heartland, the motherland of India, those of us who have been there, uh, you know, the trees and the dust and the gadflies and the beating sun and the high humidity. It was the same then that is now, um, environmental change aside, generally speaking. Uh, you know, going back to that time and almost planting ourselves under a tree. And sitting under that tree is a small community of people. Different people, different levels of spiritual interest, uh, different vocations in life, different classes. Maybe different genders, I hope, different genders. And sitting under the tree with the Buddha. And you can almost imagine the times when you've sat with somebody who was an elder in your life or a mentor or just somebody you really respected. And there's this sense of expectancy and almost pregnancy of what is about to give birth from this master. You know? And I can imagine sitting there and thinking, I wonder who's going to ask the question. I wonder if I could ask a question. I don't know if I could ask a question. I wonder if somebody asks the question, what will he say? You know? this, this moment of pause. And then I imagine somebody saying to the Buddha, you know, and this, is, this comes out of the suttas, you know, Venerable Sir, I have a question. The Buddha turning to him and saying, Friend, what's your question? And on this particular day, under this particular tree, in the heat and the dust and the flies, the question was, well, I'm curious, what is a person? You know, I'd like to know, what, what, is, what is a person? What do you think a person is? And the Buddha turns to this person and says, Friend, I'm so glad you asked. I'm imagining that part. I'm so glad you asked. Let me tell you a little bit about what I think a person is. A person is composed of five um, components. Yeah. Traditionally, it would be called skandhas, the translation from the old language in Pali, skandhas, to, to the old English is aggregates. If we update it to 2012, I think components would be a good translation. We know that if we take five general components and put them together, we could create a piece of technology. So we need to keep updating the language. And the Buddha was always working with that too and encouraging us to do the same. He said, a person is made of five components. What are the five? The five are form uh, and, and most directly uh, body. 
So body is part of being a person. Part of being a person is feeling tone. And we'll go through these in detail a little later. Part of being a person is uh, perception, which includes memory. Part of being a person is mental formations, which includes thoughts and emotions. Part of being a person is consciousness, which is the animating force which makes the whole thing function. That's what a person is, made out of these five bundles. So it's been interesting as I've been exploring this with communities over the course of the year, because sometimes people will say, well, I have a different five that make up a person, or I'm not so sure about that one. And always the spirit of these teachings is to look and see for ourselves what is relevant. And to not jump to simple conclusions about what is relevant, but use it as an open question to explore over time. How do these components work for me? So that's what I want to go over in this reflection today is break down the components a little bit, talk about some practical ways to um, practice with them in daily life, and then talk about some wisdom teachings of how we can relate to these five components um, to support insight and wisdom, uh, which allows compassion to be the natural response of increasing wisdom. So then we take the wisdom of seeing how we're made up as human beings and get big enough to include the usness of our humanness. That's kind of like the whole arc. So there we are under the tree. So to go through these in a bit more detail, let's start with body because it's so important in our practice and in our humanity. We all have different bodies that we were offered at birth. Uh, Our bodies are changing over time continuously. Uh, It's a rare event as far as I can tell that every component of the body is exactly as we would want it in a perfect world. This is a very key place to relate. So actually, uh, that might lead us to another tree at another time with the Buddha and a different question that somebody raised, which is, Venerable Sir, what is a body? What is this? Uh, And it's a great, besides the Buddha's answer to this question, that's a great inquiry question. Without looking to some expert to tell us what is true, to just check in from time to time, what is this body? What is this? We have this idea... We concretize it. If, if, if I'm going to say my body, I don't think it's yours. No, this is true. What is a body? And the Buddha's answer to that question was, oh, the body is made of the great elements. What are the great elements? The earth element, the fire element, the air element. I always get them mixed up. The water element, thank you. That's why we need a community uh, dialogue. So earth, air, fire, water. Um, The space element. And sometimes he would even include a sixth element, which is the consciousness element. And sometimes he didn't. So we can work with that on an aggregate level, on a component level of practicing with the body. Oh, the first meditation suggested suggestion that I offered when we sat in the stillness and the quiet today was, oh, feel your feet on the ground. You know, take refuge in the fact that this land at Spirit Rock has been supporting spiritual practice and spiritual awakening for a long, long time. 
if we take that in relationship with the body, we could say, oh, earth element is meeting earth element. The earth element of the bones and the solidity of the body is in contact with the earth itself. Yeah? Not so separate. We know that a huge percentage of the human body is water. Yeah? It's like water element uh, internally meeting water element externally. It's interesting living up in the Sierra foothills these days because it's very dry there. And having lived the, my whole life before the last couple of years in the Bay Area, there's a lot of humidity here. You may not notice if you've lived here a long time. I didn't until I left. So I can almost feel on a porous level, especially in the morning when the, um, the fog comes in, it's just like, oh, the, all the water element in the body meeting all the water element in the air. And we can do these with every single element. Obviously, the breath is key in our mindfulness practice, our meditation practice. Oh, you know, am am I breathing? Is this body breathing? Or are the trees breathing? Or are we breathing each other? Uh, And then this fire element, you know, which includes not just warmth, because there's fire, there's great fire, which is, of course, hot. And then there's the embers, which are cooler. You know? So it includes the whole range of our temperature experience. We could just check in this moment. Huh, how is the fire element playing out in the body? You know, for me, um, there's a lot of warmth in the core of the body in this moment, and the feet are cool. You know? Maybe for you it's different. And it's just being in relationship with the body on its elemental level. The tremendous amount of appreciation and respect that all of these elements have come together and are sustaining our life and our spiritual path. So body, first aggregate, first component of being a person. Number two is what's called feeling tone. And feeling tone fall into three general kind of moods or flavors. Every single experience that we have as a human being living a life, if we made it very, very simple, could fall into these three. Uh, what are they? Pleasant, unpleasant, pleasant, neutral. Yeah, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. Yeah, everything. And I like the simplicity of that. And you notice feeling tone, we're not talking about emotions. Emotions come later, they're included, but not now. Um, I like the simplicity of that because when I'm moving through the world at a high speed, in dialogue with people, in the complexity of our lives, I need something simple to come back to with mindfulness. Just three things to remember. What's going on? Oh, you know, it could be a very complex situation where I'm about to talk to somebody and there's some stress and we're both in a hurry. There's all this personal complexity. And then on a more universal level, what's happening? Unpleasant. You know, the stress is unpleasant. Ah. And then we're awake to the process level which is so supportive and then meeting that personal dynamic of what I say and what she said and what we need to get done in this very short period of time that doesn't even seem possible, you know, like that. And the interesting thing, of course, is that we all relate to feeling tone differently. So um, using a very concrete example that was recent, uh, let's talk about the temperature in the room during the meditation. How many of us found the temperature in the room during the meditation pleasant? Just curious, show of hands. Okay. 
and how many found it unpleasant? Okay. And how many didn't really even notice the temperature in the room? It was just neutral. Yeah, so we've got a show of hands of all. And the interesting thing is, is that more people raised their hands for pleasant. And then there was kind of in between for neutral and unpleasant. But it was the same temperature. I mean, <laughs> without the fact of some people are sitting closer to the vents than others. It was the same general temperature. We experienced it differently. That really breaks us out of our ideas about me and mine because what we tend to do is self-obsess and go, you know, you know, it's too hot in here or, oh, it's so cozy in here. And then we spread it to include, oh, everybody feels that way. Everybody thinks that way. So what if we do that with our politics? Just for example. <laughs> Then we've created this push-pull dynamic that self and others start to increase and grow. Um, and the stress of that is painful. You know. uh, so the third, the first is body or, or form. The second is feeling tone. The third is perception. And perception has to do with recognition and labeling. And it's based on memory. A lot of times people ask, where does memory fit into the five components or the five aggregates? It fits in, in this third one. Uh, so you think about when we were, you know, just toddlers or babies, you know, about yay high. And we were raised in a family. And we were raised in the culture that our family came from, whether it was a religious culture, uh, an ethnic culture, a language culture, etc. Uh, and a parent or a guardian, as they were transmitting to us reality on a relative level, you know, might have uh, held an object up uh, such as this and said, clock, <laughs> clock. You know, and that's uh, having been raised primarily in the English language. That was what my mother did, held it up and said, clock, clock. And I can imagine myself saying, clock. Or saying, good, good, good. And then I get this recognition, ah, this is a clock. Okay. If she had held up this object and said, ball, <laughs> I would have a different sense of reality today. So we have an agreed upon set of, of norms of what is what, and they're language-based and culture-based and, and hugely complex. But, you know, this is more than just a clock. What is this in different other languages besides the English language? Any other words? We are all 100% English speakers here. <laughs> Hello? Okay. And the language is? Spanish, okay. In Hebrew, yeah, thank you. Yeah, so is it a clock? Well, yes and no. Yeah, yes and no. And so perception uh, seems really solid. Yeah, we might all agree that this folder is the color yellow, but what if we're colorblind? <laughs> yeah, it's red. But some of us, we look at the world and it's like, no, it's yellow. No. So it's not as real or solid or permanent as it appears. You know, and that's, that's really the point. 
One of the simple little exercises I like to do to play with perception and break it down into kind of its uh, wisdom aspects that it's actually impermanent. It's not as solid as it appears. Uh, that when I concretize it and make it the whole of reality and expect everybody to agree with me, that's painful. That's uh, kind of one of the second wisdom knowledges. And then, oh, yeah, this is actually just a process happening to a system. It's not as personal as I thought it was, which is the third kind of wisdom knowledge of the three characteristics. Uh, and we can do it here. I figured, oh, this would be a perfect place to do it, Meditation Hall and Spirit Rock. And I'll just look out a window. Yeah. So you can try this if you want. Or I'll go outside. But if I'm inside, which we are, I'll look out the window. And uh, as I look out the window and the eyes land on colors and, and objects, and you know, we can say fence, we can say car, we can say tree, and that's all true. But if we soften the gaze... It starts to relax the perceptual field. Yeah. So then we can just look and start to take in the color level, the shape level, the texture level. Yeah. It's like, oh, just softening the gaze. It's not all about the subject, solid objects that we have labels for. There's also more than that. Yeah. So it's not that it's better or worse, it's just there's more. And of course, then we can start to break down the colors, the textures, the shapes, and like, oh, everything starts vibrating and shimmering. You know? As it does sometimes when we're in deep, intimate contact with impermanence. Yeah. So sometimes I do that when I feel a little bit too solidified as a sense of self. So yeah, let's work with the perceptual field. So the fourth... A component or aggregate is mental formations. And mental formations primarily, especially on a daily life practice level, consist of thoughts and emotions. Uh, and a particular emphasis, thoughts and emotions, and the kind of connection with those with intention, whether we're conscious of the intention or not conscious of the intention. Yeah. They're still there. So very much a component of what makes us a person. I think, therefore, I am. I believe, therefore, it's true. Yeah. Then I think of Byron Katie, who recently did a huge event here at Spirit Rock. Was anybody at that event? There's a few people at that event. And one of her favorite inquiry questions, her first inquiry question is, well, is it true? <laughs> Anything. Just an open inquiry. Is it true? So, huh, mindfulness of I'm taking my thoughts to be true. And then dropping in the inquiry question, is it true? And then just seeing. And interestingly, sometimes the answer that comes back intuitively is, yeah, it's true. I believe this. I, I've, got, I've got a tight grip on this one. It's like, oh, yeah. Okay, so that's what's happening. And can I relax around the tight grip without trying to other the part of myself that knows I should know better? Yeah, and relax. So on a practice level, I just thought I would ask us as a community. Um, there's a lot of beautiful practice here. Yeah, whether you're new at this meditation and mindfulness practice or not so new, how do you work with thoughts and emotions to take them from, you know, a really solid, concretized sense of self to just, oh, the thinking is a process happening to the system. Oh, this emotion is passing through a visitor, you know, coming and going. Oh, 
I'm totally locked in to this sadness. It's become my whole world. That's painful, you know. What, what tools do you have? Anybody want to share? So it can be our collective dharma. They can be simple. Simple is actually useful. How do you practice in your meditation or life with thoughts and emotions? Yeah. I try to review things at the end of the day in bed, you know, and look back at things that were difficult and soften around it and rethink whether, I mean, I guess it's still thinking, but whether that yeah. was a fact in the way that I saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. So again, just to rephrase it through the mic, uh, you know, a, an end of the day reflection about you know, challenging things and thoughts and emotions and reflecting on it and softening around it. Yeah, thank you. Somebody else had their hand raised. Please. Sometimes when I have judgment thoughts, I'll do sort of an is it true inquiry and then that'll shift the judgment to compassion or just understanding or even just a softening where it's like, well, no, that's not really true. It's just judgment. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, so working with judgmental thoughts, using is it true, bringing in the compassion, so important, so important. Please. For myself, I generally have to check in to see how much is ego that's sort of filtering that thought process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, how much is ego in the thought process? So many great inquiry questions we're using. Yeah, thank you, please. Uh, sometimes if I'm feeling sort of in conflict with somebody else, I can just, ask, and if there's a certain event or issue that happened, I just ask, well, what did they need or what do they need mm-hmm. and what do I need? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, in conflict, asking what do they need, what do I need? Yeah, because it's dropping it down below the surface level of he said, she said, and the whole dynamic, and what is really going on here? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I think along with what she was saying, when I uh, have negative emotions of any kind, especially anger, there is often fear underlying that. Mm. And if I look at the fear, I have to look at what I need oh. to move into a place of compassion. Mm. Right, so sifting through the layers of the emotions. Oh, there's anger, what's underneath it, it's often fear, what do I need? Mm-hmm. And it's that spirit of compassion again, the caring. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and so often the thoughts and emotions are just layer upon layer upon layer, peeling the onion. Yeah, anybody else? Yeah, please. Yeah. Um, with difficult emotions, I'll often say metaphrases for myself rather than get caught up in the story and more emotions. Yeah, thank you for bringing that in. Yeah, with, with difficult emotions, bringing in the loving-kindness phrases, the metta phrases. Now, Donald and I, uh, in the transforming the judgmental mind teaching that we do, we would call that when there's you know really difficult thoughts or emotions that you know, are just a real challenge, call it shif- uh, shifting the center of gravity. Yeah, it's just shifting the center of gravity and realizing, yeah, there's all this material that's not easy in this moment, and... There's also the potential for well-wishing and friendliness in the same moment, you know, that it doesn't have to be different. Thank you for bringing that in. Any last one? Yeah, Marty. Just, uh, I have some phrases that I periodically during the day repeat to myself uh, just to... I. I always start by 
saying the nature of my mind is open as the sky, <laughs> pervasive as the earth, unshakable as the mountain, yeah. and uh, shining as a flame, mm. and loosely as a crystal. Mm. And I go on from there, and uh, it just kind of centers me and makes me, helps me get into a still place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so using wisdom phrases, as you said, to center, settle. And I love that your wisdom phrases include the elements, you know, bringing in the elements. I bet a lot of us have little uh, simple and not-so-simple wisdom phrases that we say to ourselves in, in times of uh, ease and times of duress. Very skillful. Yeah, thank you so much for um, allowing our... Uh, dialogue to be a dialogue, you know, in this incredible practice field that we're in, really rich. So we have the mental formations, and then the fifth one is consciousness. So consciousness is, in this case, in this particular framework, consciousness at the six sense doors, okay? So the consciousness of sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, five senses we're familiar with, and the mind is the sixth. And I think of consciousness as kind of the animating force, right? So if I use the analogy of, of a candle, well, let's talk about the three components that are needed to actually have a sense door experience. Uh, we need a sense door, and it needs to function more or less. So, you know, we have different levels of, of availability of hearing and of seeing and of all the rest of them as we go through the course of our lives. Uh, but, you know, any level of functionality we have is important. The organ, we need to actually have the organ, whatever it is, you know, the brain, the, the, the touch, etc. And then the consciousness animates it. So it's almost as if the candle uh, wax would be the, the organ, uh, and the flame is the consciousness. But what's the third component that we need? We actually need to have something to be seen, something to be heard. You know, if there's no sound, which is almost an unheard of event, then you can have consciousness and you can have an ear and it functions, but you're not hearing anything. Yeah. So that's kind of how those work. And in terms of how might we get more engaged with this in our daily life practice, uh, I'll tell you one advanced one and one that's more user-friendly. So the advanced one was one I started noticing years ago, and, and I assume I'm not the only one that notices this. But there are times, especially on retreat, when I'll wake up in the morning and there's this less than a split second that happens where I don't hear anything. And then it's almost as if the sound quality turns on like a light switch and I hear. It's a split second. And the reason that I can tell the difference is because I can hear something as soon as it turns on. There was sound in the room, even if it's just a low-level hum of the heater or something. There are these seconds, these flickers that happen that we can actually catch from time to time. So that's more of an advanced practice. Simple practice is just noticing the aliveness quality. You know, like, oh, wow, this thing works. It's animated. 
Yeah, so we look out of our eyes right now, we're hearing out of our ears. It's so rich, it's so alive. It might sound really simple, it's just one voice. Maybe this voice is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral to you, you know. But it's like, oh wow, there it is, just hearing the sound waves. Yeah. There's the kind of form level of the words, the concepts, and then there's just the sound waves. So we can work with it at that level. It's more of a consciousness level. It's really fun. Brings in that aliveness quality. Another aliveness quality would just be feeling the body sitting here in its aliveness. You know, the touch sense is like, oh, you know, butt on the cushion or on the chair, feeling the support if we're in a chair, feeling the contact of the material. Again, in these practices, they're very simple. We take the simple and we bring the juice back in. Because when we're disconnected from our human experience, it's boring, it's just, it's not alive. So we take the most simple thing, like my hand on this material and go, oh, I could just feel this and think, who cares? And sometimes I do. Or I could feel this and go, this is really interesting. There's a lot of texture. There's all this aliveness in the hand. Wow, neat. And that's the invitation of mindfulness, to take the most mundane and create a moment of neat. This is really neat. So, a very well-known sutta that I like to study and also reflect on and also practice with that I thought I would share. And it was a teaching from the Buddha to one of his students, uh, Bahia. And this was a student who was really passionate about waking up. You know, we all have our own understanding of what that means to wake up. He was passionate. He actually traveled halfway across India on foot at incredible speeds when he heard that the Buddha existed to go get a teaching. And he tried to grab the Buddha on alms round. Okay, so the Buddha ate once a day. He had his bowl. He was moving around from house to house, receiving his only meal of the day, probably. And you can imagine this student, this uh, man that he'd never met, running up to him. Teacher, teacher, please, please. I'm just, I'm dying for awakening. I have to get enlightened. Please teach me. And the Buddha's saying, this is not the appropriate time to hear. I'm going on alms round. It's time to eat. Please, please. And of course, it's three times that he begs because that's often the case in the suttas. Um, and so I imagine the Buddha, with great composure, because it's not something that's going to ruffle his mind, just turning to Bahia and realizing, this is somebody who needs the teachings now. Not later. Now. And this is what he said. So it's kind of a, a brief, pithy teaching. My friend Bahia, you should train yourself thus. In reference to the seen, there will be only the seen. In reference to the heard, only the heard. In reference to what is sensed, only the sensed. In reference to what is cognized, only the cognized. That is how you should train yourself. For when for you... There will be only the seen in reference to the seen, only the heard in reference to the heard, only the sensed in reference to the sensed, and only the cognized in reference to the cognized. Then, my friend Bahia, there's no you in that. When there's no you in that, there's no you there. And when there's no you there, you are neither here, nor there, 
nor between the two. This, just this, friend Bahia, is the end of suffering. And then the Buddha continues on his alms round. And uh, Bahia has some direct level of understanding, which grows as he continues on his path. And sure enough, he has a profound awakening. And just after that time, he's actually killed by a mad cow. You know, this was the time for the teachings. There's no time to lose. I doubt there are any mad cows out there on the road heading home. But it's like the invitation is now, you know, not later. And we don't have to be bigger, better, more psychologically savvy, you know, to awaken in our own way right now. Right now. So that is what I have to offer for our reflection. And let's turn the Dharma seat off so that we can, people can feel free to share personally as they like. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.